that sort of time frame, just trying to make incremental changes the whole time, that, that's really difficult. Um, and I feel like in the college environment, it is it can be more challenging because you know whether you're a junior or a senior, you've got seniority, but you know there's the freshmen and sophomores coming up, and so there's always this kind of push to be always getting faster. Yeah. Um, and I that is a really hard scenario to to succeed in, like continually. Um, I feel like when you have some ups and downs in terms of, you know, seasons on seasons off, uh, or putting in, you know, maybe a big chunk of training, no matter what that focus is, there can be some short term performance declines when that happens, even though you're kind of building fitness for the future and you can make long term bigger gains. Did you know that we each lose a different amount of electrolytes in our sweat, largely based on our genetics? That means that there's no one-size-fits-all perfect sports drink for everybody because we each have unique needs. That's why we at Solpre developed the Sync Hydration System, a series of sports drinks to help match you with the personal level of electrolytes that you need. If you'd like us to help you match with your perfect sports drink, go to solpre.com slash hydration dash quiz. That's solpre.com slash hydration dash quiz. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a cyclist and, uh, as he described himself, kind of a hobbyist in cross-country skiing. He's done many, many sports throughout his life, um, but has a big emphasis in cycling. He has his master's in education and student development. He's also a candidate for his master's in exercise physiology. Um, one of those rare people that ends up with a double master's somehow um, and puts us all to shame, or at least me. Uh, he is the coach and founder of Develo Coaching. Uh, if you've been around with the podcast, you may have listened to this episode, but he's the coach of Alexi Vermeulen. That was episode 165. If you want to listen to that after this one, welcome to the show, Lucas Wall. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. Um, Thanks for the clarification about Alexi. I, as I was doing my research on you, like we were talking about before um, we got recording, but the listeners are privy to this. I saw kind of like some kind of connection with Alexi, but my assistant didn't officially like tell me anything. So I was, I was like, there's something there, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Um, so maybe the, the question uh, I want to start with is how did you and Alexi get hooked up? And maybe like, how do you find clients? period. I always kind of wonder yeah. how that works. Like I found my coach kind of word of mouth. Um, and I just wonder how different coaches like develop their stable, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I think that varies for a lot of people, but my experience and is just working with local cyclists. And so I got connected with Alexi through our club, um, working with the junior program through the Ann Arbor Velo Club at the time. And that just kind of grew into working with him individually. Uh, and then that's where a lot of my clients have come from, some some directly through the club, some through references of, of other athletes. Um, Alexi has helped to drive traffic to me over, over the years for sure. Um, just having been you know, road, mountain bike, um, gravel, and having good success there. That's you know great word of mouth. But then some of the other people I worked with too, um, so yeah, a lot of it has been word of mouth. Um, and I feel very fortunate being in Michigan and there aren't a ton of cycling coaches. 
Um, yeah, I, I know people who are in the San Diego area and I actually have family in that area. Um, and that, that'd be a completely different sort of market in terms of finding, um, finding clients. But for me, uh, yeah, a lot of word of mouth and just being active in the community, uh, help lead a, a new racer program each year, um, through our club and a race series. Uh, and so some of those things evolve over, over time, not necessarily immediately, but, uh, you know, a few years later down the road, I'll sometimes have, have athletes that come to me. So that's, that's been my approach and it, it's worked really, really well. And I've enjoyed it. I'm not, um, I'm not a marketer by, uh, like I'm not a natural marketer. And so it's been great that, uh, it's been something that's been able to just kind of develop organically and, uh, and take advantage of that. So, yeah. That's one of those things where, so if, you, the listener, didn't listen to the episode with me and Alexi. We spent like 20 minutes talking about athletes marketing themselves and yeah. <laughs> that, that whole thing. That's one of those things where it's like sometimes you can force it and like you do marketing, so to speak. But then mm -hmm. some of it's just like being social, talking to people, and then like yeah. time. Like some of it, that's where I say like some of it isn't in terms of force. Like I can pay for ads and that kind of stuff. That's like like a force approach. Right. But the other way is just like doing your thing and then gradually, you know, people yeah. kind of finding you over time and just being patient about it. Yeah. And I say, I'm not a natural marketer, um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm aware, you know, you've got to, you have to be involved in one way or another. And there's lots of ways to do that. And for me, it's been easy to be involved with my athletes and be involved with, with programs that are going on. And, and that's, it's been successful for me. Um, I haven't had to worry about trying to, you know, do some more direct marketing, um, maybe some more traditional things, uh, even social media is something, you know, as I look at my schedule and how, where I spend my time, um, you will find that I'm not very active. Um, yeah. Like your just, last, your last tweet was like retweeting from something from Alexi from like over a year ago. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> Um, and it's not that I don't enjoy social media in some ways, but um, I, I sometimes look at it and say, if it's going to look good, if it's going to be authentic, um, you, you kind of have to commit a little bit to it. Um, and at the moment, I'm, it's one of those things I don't necessarily have enough energy to commit a ton of time to mm -hmm. more consistently. And so I've just chosen, like, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think for marketing, if it comes off as authentic and that's where I like to just be involved in activities that are happening, um, whether it's leading clinics or man, doing Q and A's or whatever those happen to be. Um, those are things that I enjoy. Those are contexts I enjoy. And I feel like that comes off as a whole lot more authentic than if I try and do some other things that, you know, I'm not necessarily as, as into, um, yeah. And like I say, and I also recognize I've been really fortunate in terms of the scenario so that, I haven't necessarily had to try and find more avenues and try and push some business that way. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, I think that's the tough thing about the, the marketing thing is like being authentic. <clears throat> I'm really bad at the social media stuff. Um, like, so I, I kind of stick to my avenues of like, I do the podcast, which we, like, we do the video version. If you're just listening to the audio version, uh, the video versions on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash And then I also do like a, a just a show about, running because that's my background on the youtube yeah. channel so it's like all my efforts are kind of focused on that and in terms of like that kind of fills my like quote-unquote coaching itch or whatever mm -hmm. with the youtube channel because i can be like oh, let's talk about running let's talk about like the little nuances of things and like why you know we would because 
I mean, we can talk about like, let's talk about periodization. We can have a yeah. video, like I've done a video about that, mm -hmm. that like the general, but then let's like, okay, why are you doing this at this point in time? Or like, you know, it does this fit in with your particular skill set and like, what are your raw skills and how do you apply that? To, you know, because mm -hmm. there's no, as you know, there's no like one size fits all perfect training plan. You can just be like, here, this, this works. If you do this, you'll be an Olympian. Like that's not, <laughs> right. that's not really how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think about those things and I like to dig into those details um, because it, it's all, you know, where is the athlete starting from? What sorts of skills do they have, um, you know, as an athlete, as a person, where can they leverage those things? Where are areas they need to grow? Uh, and if there was a one size fits all sort of thing, you know, we'd just all be using a, a spreadsheet or an app on our phone. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I always tell some good people, sometimes coaching's not, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are a ton of different ways to do it. And so you can find a hundred different answers to a problem. Uh, and a lot of those will be good. Um, but some might be better because they fit the context a little better. Um, yeah. And I think a coach brings some experience that can help narrow those things down, uh, where, you know, an algorithm or an app, those are details they don't necessarily take into account. So um, one thing I think is, is interesting about trying to coach even just a singular athlete and i don't know if you've experienced this with alexi i know i've gone through this personally where it's like so like say for me historically just adding mileage tended to make me better faster mm -hmm. or whatever you know this is younger me um me this year has been like still dealing with a achilles tendonitis can't put any mileage in basically yeah. anyway um but then there's there's kind of a breaking point where it's like adding more mileage doesn't necessarily help. And mm -hmm. then you need to like do something different. Yeah. I've seen where like athletes will go through like, like, you know, so like my kind of natural tendency is endurance is good for me. Power sucks. So like I'm a terrible sprinter, mm -hmm. like sprint finish is not great. Um, so then I can add, you know, lean into that strength, but then eventually there's mm -hmm. diminishing returns and then you've got to do something different. So it's like, season after season after season you're like okay i just need to do this one thing and we know we're going to get gains and then oh now we've got to take a whole different strategy with this athlete and then like reassess and i think that's where you you can't replace a coach with an app or, or something because there's there's yeah. that nuance there where you go oh like i'm gonna kind of put words in your and alexi's mouth here it's like oh like Alexi's peaking here like oh now we need instead of having him do you know I don't know like a three by five at 105 percent FTP or something now we need him to just focus on like 30 second sprints to really boost up his power or something like that's all that's all we need to do the next three months or whatever yeah right so um, that anyway so I just that experience I guess could you talk to that and if you've gone through that with the, with different athletes yeah, for sure. Um, and sometimes those are really dictated by events. Um, yeah, Alexi's a good example because there's some extremes in, in terms of, of what he's done. Um, you know, coming into racing at the the professional level and the U23 level, you come from being a junior and the volume you need to bump up to to kind of make that step is really big. Um, and you're definitely kind of drinking from a fire hose in terms of just trying to stay afloat and not do too much, um, but but make that step. 
Um, and so there's not always a lot of, you know, we often focus time on how do we optimize things and how do we maximize these things. And, and there's definitely in that context, there's a lot of how do you not just overdo. And so the specificity and some of those things that I think get a lot of attention are, um, they're not even like in the the realm of main concerns because you're just trying to how do we manage from from step to step to step um and then kind of once you you make that step then then it becomes a little bit more of how do we how do we optimize things and and how do you do some uh some training that's gonna be more focused on events um and then having worked with him for more than a decade you know his the types of events he's focused on the types of race calendar he has has changed quite a bit uh, on the road. You do a ton of events, um, you know, every weekend, often two races, sometimes midweek, stage races, things like that. Uh, and now I can't remember how many races he did this last year, but let's say maybe, I think it was maybe 15 to 18. And a few of those are pretty low key, sort of, you know, they're in the neighborhood and they were fun. Um, so, you know, kind of a dozen main events, let's say for the year. Um, and for this past year, it was there was a series, the Lifetime Grand Prix series was a big focus. And so instead of peaking for one single event, um, the the goal was to kind of spread that more over a season. And so the type of training that we did um, was intended more to kind of span the season rather than than hit a couple peaks. Um, but at the same time, it's front loaded with Unbound, which is you know a ten-ish hour event, um, depending on conditions for the elite riders, uh, and then. The season ends with him doing events like Schwam again and then Iceman, um, you know, they're like 90 to uh, 120 minute events. And so uh, the first part of the year is very much focused on endurance and volume um, and trying to make some gains there. And then fortunately, they weren't jumping between long and short events in the Grand Prix because then it made it easier through the year to then transition to doing some more speeds, to do some more focus, to look at some of the things that uh, maybe he was just struggling with in events. Um, and, th and those are often the the efforts like those, you know, 30 second sprints or something where you don't, you don't have time. I mean, you have time, but energy isn't really a, a good fit for that sort of training when you're also trying to prep for an event like Unbound. Um, yeah, and then you know, contrast that with I've worked with with masters level cyclocross racers, and um, they have a full time job and kids, uh, and they're doing a race season of say twelve or fifteen cyclocross events all within three four months. Um, so it's a pretty tight schedule, uh, and you're trying to hit things from threshold to you know anaerobic and you know neuromuscular some sprint things just with all the pace changes and just the high intensity. Um, and that's a scenario where, you know, they don't have time to do 20 hours a week. Um, and maybe that would probably would have worked for a couple of my riders had they had that sort of time that would have helped their fitness, mm. but you know, you're working with what, you know, 10 hours average maybe. And so that is where I feel like optimization of how do we get the most out of your time really helps. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's you know, what are the demands of races, but then learning that athlete, you know, I had an athlete that, if we did certain things with him worked great if we tried but he was not an anaerobic sort of guy so we worked on anaerobic seeing if he'd respond really didn't respond and so we found that time was really just best spent on his strengths um because training some of his weaknesses didn't make a big impact um but then took away from some of that energy that could go into maybe threshold or ftp work 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's always in the context of, of the athlete's schedule and, 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 you know, personal schedule as well as event schedule. Uh, and then over time learning where, where to spend that time and energy to, to get good returns. Cause for some people you're going to put time and energy in and they're going to respond. And for others, they'll respond in some areas, but not others. Um, and that's just kind of process of experimentation. So yeah, I think that's that's always like the tough part. And I kind of talked about this before is like figuring out where to spend that time. And then, like I said, knowing like, do you lean into the strengths? Or are you true? You try to shore up the weaknesses, you know, because because yeah. you don't, you know, like uh, one of the things like my coach in college would say is that so I, I like to do the 5,000 and I wanted to do the 10,000 got injured and didn't end up working my senior year. But as we were getting ready for the event um, and training for it, he's like, you know, the world record holder for the 10,000 still at, for the last lap still went like 53 seconds or something like all out moving last lap. Like that's the it's fastest lap. So it's like, yeah, just being aware that I'm very good at, I'm going to have one pace and I'm going to stay there mm -hmm. all day, but also knowing like, that weakness of mine, that high end speed, you still need to be able to close. Right. So then it's a decision like, you know, where do you spend the time? Do you spend time on that like steady state? Like, oh, we're just going to work on just hitting that pace all day. Or do you spend a bulk of time really working on that close? And this is all like in my case, obviously. Right. But it's, you know, and it's all time constrained. Like everybody's mm -hmm. always getting older this season's always closed like you know yeah. it's it's a gamble and I think when you have like the history like you do with Alexi I, I think there's some ability to make pretty educated guesses about like okay we know he yeah. responds in this way or doesn't respond in that way and we know okay he's getting older so we probably need to take these but then like in that case where uh, I was a collegiate athlete at the time you kind of have a little bit of background with each athlete, but you don't have that much background and it's, it's yeah. a tough situation. And then you, you know, talking about, I'll, we'll get to this in a second, but talking about like maintaining across the season, I want to ask you about that and how you approach that. But just like with a collegiate schedule, you're racing, you know, within a nine month period, 25, 26 times. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's, just a constant barrage of like trying to top in performance. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard to do. Um, you know, that, that sort of time frame, just trying to make incremental changes the whole time that that's really difficult. Um, and I feel like in the college environment, it is, it's can be more challenging because, you know, whether you're a junior or senior, you've got seniority, but you know, there's the freshman and sophomores coming up. And so there's always this kind of push to be always getting faster yeah. Um, and I, that is a really hard scenario to, to succeed in like continually. Um, I feel like when you have some ups and downs in terms of, you know, seasons on seasons off, uh, or putting in, you know, maybe a big chunk of training, no matter what that focus is, there can be some short-term performance declines when that happens, even though you're kind of building fitness for the future and you can make long-term bigger gains. Um, but yeah, when you have that sort of just incremental, continual competition, that can be really difficult in terms of finding that steady progress and maintaining that. 
Um, yeah, because I feel like the peaks and valleys aren't as accepted <laughs> in that sort of context. Yeah. Um, it's like you always need to be on a peak. Yeah. And then you end up injured, and then you're like way down the valley. Which, and it's... <laughs> yeah, and we know that you can't always be on a peak. I mean, that's yeah. not, not realistic. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, to some degree, that's what pro cycling is like a little bit. Um, I think we have this idea that the pro cyclists peak for their events, um, but that typically is is the top guys on a team. Um, a lot of the rest of the guys just need to be in shape for a lot of the year. Um uh, because you know they're helping out at this race and that race and uh they're not they don't have the luxury of of really really focusing on on events um and a lot of the attention in cycling is on the tour de france and everybody is you know everybody who's hoping to make the tour team on their individual team is is focused on that and so they're trying to build into that um but that's not the reality of the other you know 11 months of the cycling year um or you know nine ten months of the cycling calendar race race calendar um so yeah that's the 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 idea of peaking is great but i think in cycling where there's so many races and then you know in a collegiate running setting and some of those other settings where um there's just a, a big race calendar um you don't have that kind of nice build and recovery that might be an ideal sort of setup yeah you know? so so i want to ask you you know along these lines you talked about like that one i don't know if you said it was last year or a previous year where where alexi was racing kind of across the season for a whole mm-hmm. tour series um that's one of the i think such a, a challenge um it's something i like to try to do because you know you go to a race like you want to be competitive you don't want to go to a race and be like ah it's just a workout like right it's because you're at a race like it, it yeah. even if you're like it's just a workout it's very hard to hold yourself back because you're going to be like, man, yes. like, I want to go. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is your approach either with him or in general to trying to take that? Like, say you said, I think it was like 12 races. So I, it probably was more than this, but let's say once, once a month or something that he's racing, you know, how do you, how do you set up that schedule to have kind of a generally high performing body even though maybe it's not like the ultra peak we try to hit in like traditional periodization yeah um a lot of that comes down to preseason preparation um so for example this year with the lifetime grand prix kind of gravel mountain bike series uh started at sea otter in april and then went through uh big sugar in october um so you know it's kind of a six seven i guess seven month technically um range um and so starting out was you know a number of the event well seattle was a mountain bike race so it's two hours and then you i think uh unbound was second and you're like 10 hours um we did not focus on preparing for seattle that was not like a key key event just because we knew what was coming next and and what was necessary to do to do that so unsurprisingly that was not his best event of the year um, which is still disappointing. I mean, the reality is you still go in having done a lot of training, just not very specific. Um, and uh, because the volume was really going to be super important as as you come into events like Unbound, um, then he was also doing Belgian Waffle Ride. Um, and I'm forgetting a couple of others, but, you know, some long ones, Crusher and the Tusher. Um, and so you're looking at, you know, six to, to 10 hour sort of 
you know, planning for that, that duration of event. Um, and so just volume is a really, really big part of that. Uh, we do a little bit of, of speed work in there because there's going to be pace changes and things like that. Um, you know, some threshold in there, and unfortunately, sometimes you flat and you got to chase back on and <laughs> like, that's a real thing you need to be able to do. Um, it's also just part of training, but a lot of that is just spending a lot of time doing endurance, uh, and sort of tempo work because that's just, that is the key demand. Um, and the biggest limiter for those types of events tends to be fueling. And so, um, the more kind of endurance and aerobic base fitness you have, um, is going to help with that fueling part of the equation because you can rely on fat as a fuel source more. Um, you're not going through your carbohydrate glycogen stores as, as quickly. Uh, and so those, you can kind of maintain some of those better, um, both through the combination of the training and, and trying to, to improve fat burning through that, but then also practicing so you're capable of consuming 100 plus grams of carbs an hour um, and also practicing how you do that. And then the flip side is like not overdoing it. So your body's used to having a ton of carbs because that doesn't help with the, you know, uh, learning to burn fat. So there's a balance of a lot of that. And a bunch of that is front loaded in the season. Um, and then as we got through some of those big long events, you've, you've developed a huge aerobic, just kind of foundation of fitness. And then it's easier to focus on doing some intensity. So as you starting to get to some of the shorter mountain bike races, where there's just a lot of natural variation and high intensity portions of those sorts of events. Um, then we, we added that intensity, um, drop volume for sure. Um, yeah, and nutrition even changes a little bit because we weren't worried about trying to do as much of the um, the the big carb intake during events because the events weren't as long. Um, and so we're still trying to maintain a big part of that aerobic, you know, fat burning sort of fitness because he's doing this multiple years. And so trying to keep that in mind, setting him up for the future. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of kind of ebbs and flows from you know, the type of training he's doing, but also the fueling that goes into that. Um, and it doesn't always perfectly balance. Like I said, for Seattle with the mountain bike race, I mean, he went, he raced. Um, there are things we could do better, you know, this next, this coming season um, with that. But um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a give and take that happens with all of it for sure. So one thing you said reminded me of, um, I spoke with, uh, Ironman great Mark Allen back on episode 131. And when he and I were talking, we were talking about, we'll say the Norwegians and kind of the upcoming big speed changes in, in long course triathlon. And we were talking about how a lot of the like physiological components between some of these athletes are pretty close like you know maybe mm -hmm. one's a little bit better at one discipline than the other but it, when it all averages out like they're mm -hmm. getting pretty close to being about the same time and one of the big differentiators that he had suggested or we talked about was like the fueling strategy and figuring out how to kind of optimize the body for fuel i, I think in particular we mm -hmm. talked about how like uh, we were talking about like the project sub seven, sub eight that was going on and that happens this year um, and how like fuel is the kind of ultimate biological limiter. Like there's yeah. just a certain point where like you can't make your body digest anymore. Like that's yeah. all it can do. Like you can't make the cells work any faster. Right. So I was just kind of curious how you guys 
you know, work on the fueling strategy, um, you know, talk, if you're uh, talking about, you know, working on like optimizing fat burning for fuel over just like a strict carb, you know, there's, so there's some training component to that. Um, so, so how do you approach that? How do you tweak it for various races? Like, you know, what, mm -hmm. what's your kind of philosophy in that direction? Yeah, from a, from a training standpoint and how do we focus on burning fat as a fuel, that's how much volume um, consistency um, in the training and, and then the intensity that you're using. And so high volume, um, really consistent with the training day to day, week to week um, for those periods um, and training intensity kind of, you know, in, the, in some of the, the, the common cycling zone zoning training zones or training levels you're, you're at an endurance or, or zone two sort of level and even oftentimes kind of low um in that um then the goal is just you're really fueling almost all of that activity through aerobic respiration in the cells um you're not varying pace a lot um and so because with those variations in pace your body makes up those quick changes with with anaerobic fuel and so you're creating more lactate um and which is using glycogen to do that and uh and that gets recycled recycled and that's you know that is also a part of training but you don't want to be relying on the glycogen to begin with you really just want to be focused on how do we get the most fuel coming from fat burning uh as you can and so that's just big volume steady pace is, is a big part of that um and because that typically takes the longest amount of time for for the body to adjust um, and your, the enzymes, mitochondria, blood flow, all those things tend to take longer than some other adaptations that can happen. Uh, and you're really looking for a number of different changes that are happening. Um, whereas, you know, if you're trying to develop, um, you know, anaerobic capacity, that's something that responds more quickly, um, because the mechanisms involved are a little bit simpler, easier for your body to build. Uh, and so it happens faster most of the time. Um, so yeah, the, the aerobic side of it and learning to, to burn fat or getting your body to do that better just takes a lot of time. Um, so that's the training side of it from the nutrition side of it. Um, we haven't, Alexi in particular is, is good at having a generally a good solid quality diet. So that's something we haven't necessarily focused on, but I do think that's important. Um, when you're doing a big volume, you're going to have a fairly, or you're going to have a big contribution of carbs to that diet. Um, just to you know, process all of that at the same time, you know, you need to make sure you're getting in plenty of protein and some fat in that diet. Um, you're looking to burn fat. Hopefully some of that is coming from your diet, not just off of your, off of your body stores. Um, so, you know, just a, a general well-rounded diet, um, but also making sure you're eating plenty. Um, because as you try to make a lot of those fitness gains, um, your body does that best in a, in a well-fed state. So if you're kind of chronically undernourished, um, that, yeah, that's chronic energy deficiencies are, are not a good scenario for trying to improve fitness. Um, and then on the bike, we kind of train the, um, the high carb things roughly once a week, maybe closer to once every 10 days. Um, and so that's something that has to be done over a long time. Uh, Alexi came in with a lot of experience in terms of eating on the bike and so that was not that was a pretty easy process for him mm -hmm. um but we were conscientious about it and trying to do it in mm -hmm. steps and make sure you're not getting you know gut rot and some of those things that can happen 
Um, and I will say his experience in doing that was pretty good. Um, but some of that is also just practicing. Like it is, it's a chore to take in that many calories while you're riding a bike. Um, especially if you're doing that in the context of events like Unbound or Belgian Waffle Ride, where it can be hard to just literally get things to your mouth, um, whether that's fluid or food. So um, doing some practice, both in terms of just the sheer volume and consistency throughout a training session at that, um, but also just the logistics of like, how do I carry it and get it in my face while I'm mm -hmm. on a bike? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we definitely practice that. If you practice it too often, though, then your body starts to get used to having a lot of carbs available and it wants to burn the carbs because you get more ATP out of each um, right. for, per, per uh, units of oxygen available when you burn carbs as opposed to fat or something else. So um, your body likes it if it's available, but it is definitely it's the most limited fuel source. So we don't do that too often because we don't, you know. Being able to burn fat as a fuel source and rely more on that is going to help you out a lot and those really long events. Um, so you got to train so your body can, can absorb it, um, making sure you're using good combinations of carbohydrates, because um, if you're trying to do that all through, you know, glucose sort of thing, the channels that absorb it through your gut into your bloodstream are limited. So you get, if you're using different types of um, carbohydrate then there's different channels that absorb those. And so you can get more in, in an hour. So, you know, we're trying to adhere to all those things. Um, but yeah, ultimately how much your, your body can process is really a big limiter. And if you're out of, you know, glycogen or, or really depleted, not necessarily zero, but pretty depleted, the intensity you can maintain is about 50% of what you could before. So that's just a huge decrease. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not the first to the kind of high carb intake on the long events. Um, but as I started seeing that, I, you know, just kind of quick run through the numbers in terms of, you know, if you're able to take in this many grams of carbohydrate, that's X number of calories. Here are the kind of rates of calorie usage that somebody is doing in an event that lines up with power up with this way. If we can bump that up, you know, how does that, that compare? And you're looking at, you know, significant differences, not necessarily huge all the time, but sometimes 15, 20 watt differences in terms of what's sustainable from an energy standpoint. And over the course of an event like Unbound, that goes from like front group to, you know, second group. That's like top five to top 25 um, and maybe even a little further back. So that's, I mean, that's a, a significant difference. Uh, and then, you know, Lexi this year had a, had a flat and had a chase back on at one point. And those are, those are the sort of scenarios where you don't get to optimize your pacing in the race. You just, I mean, you got to go hard. Um, and so you do have sometimes have those scenarios where you're going to use more glycogen, um, because that's, that's what the race demands. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, we try and prep as best we can so that then you've got a little bit of room to play with, um, because yeah, races happen. So, uh, before we start to wind down, I, I want to ask you uh, kind of specifically in, in, in the fueling department. So this is a, you know, I'm well out of my big triathlon training, but like, this is one of the struggles I had with cycling is number one, just the amount of time you got to spend to be good at it. Um, mm -hmm. I was never great at that. So like my longest rides, you know, I'd go out um, on the height of my training years ago now, it'd be like five hour ride, you know, somewhere around 80 ish miles or so mm -hmm. uh, 75, 80 miles. And, you know, 
I could take gels with me, but then it's like you need gels the whole time. Like not the whole time, but just like it is your main fuel source. Yeah. Do you do that? Do you take like salty crackers? Do you take a sandwich? Like, mm -hmm. you know, what do you take with you? So I'm kind of curious what your and or Alexi, however you want to approach it. Uh, you know, I'm picking on him because he's been on the show and yeah. coach him. But, um, you know, how do you kind of approach that, that literal like fueling choice? Like what are we taking with us, say on long rides or I would not assume you're going to like pull a peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of your pack during a, a race, but maybe I'm wrong. So like, I'm curious how, how you approach it. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we talked about the whole fueling aspect, just being a key limiter. And it really right. is. And one of the challenges is getting it in your face consistently for, you know, at an unbound, you're like a 10 hour sort of thing is mm -hmm. what I always have in mind, you know, for the elite rider, sometimes it's a little faster, but you still kind of always have 10 hours in mind because sometimes conditions are terrible and that cannot be, you know, sometimes that's not a big deal, especially if you've been practicing the first hour one and two and three and four and five. The trick is that like around eight hour, eight hour nine, you can be really, really, really sick of it. And um, so part of the practice is what do you like? What can you tolerate? Can you tolerate this for, you know, a couple of months of preparation? That's, that's usually a pretty good indicator that you're not going to be sick of it by the end of a race. Um, and then some of it is recognizing, like, is having that plan and, you know, for your race, here's what I'm consuming, here's where I'm getting it, here's how I'm trying to get it in. Um, but then also recognizing that sometimes that's not going to work and it's okay to kind of switch it up um because you could have been relying on one thing and you're like i'm i'm done like i cannot do another one of those um and then recognizing there's there's a plan b so one of the things i've really worked on my athletes with the last few years is kind of having plan b for lots of scenarios um everybody doesn't want to flat or crash or you know lose this or, or have that happen um but we all know those things happen and so how do we plan for that to happen um not because we want it to not because it's choice a but because we know those things are going to happen what what is our plan b and so from a nutrition standpoint you know we have our plan a plan that we're trying to make happen and then you know whether you miss a feed or drop something or just like cannot tolerate taking in another bottle of whatever it is mm -hmm. you know what is something else you can take and recognizing that you know in in a perfect world that might not be what you use but in a, a realistic actual real world scenario that this this backup option is going to be better than nothing. Um, I think I've seen with a lot of athletes, it tends to be either all or nothing. And so really trying to create that gap in there where no, this perfect scenario isn't what is happening, but we have backup plans that can be good. And so, uh, so yeah, and, and that can vary, you know, it can be gels, it can be, um, the, you know, the various chews, it can be drinks. Um, I found for a lot of athletes, what seems to be working best is the high calorie drinks, just because in the context of gravel events, they're way easier to manage um, just getting them in. The challenge with them is refueling. So they don't necessarily work for all events because you don't necessarily have self-support or, or um, you know, pick where you can leave your stuff and then pick some of your own stuff up later, or you don't have team support where you can get hand ups from others. Um, and so there's an element of what are you going to work with that the race provides? Um, but, uh, because you can't carry all that fluid. So right. 
400 calories <laughs> in a bottle. Stra- a we're just going to strap like a five gallon jug onto everybody's back and just. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and that's not very practical either. So, you know, it's, it's bottles and it's, you know, hydration packs and all that, but yeah. you know, at some point. Yeah. So logistically it does become a challenge. Um, and sometimes necessitates that then you have food, even though that might not be your preference, just because that's the only way to be able to carry enough stuff, either between checkpoints or just because it's essentially all self-supported. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it does vary. Um, but for the really long events, people are, are mostly finding the the high calorie drinks are are the most convenient because it's the easiest to to keep up with. Otherwise it's like food wrappers and other stuff and like trying to take bites and chew. And yeah, it's, it's just hard. Um, in training, sometimes that'll vary because people want a little bit more variety. So Mm -hmm. we try and practice some of the race foods in training, but you know, sandwiches and aren't unheard of. And yeah, and I think that's fine. Um, yeah, again, sometimes we, we focus on what's perfect or what's optimal and sometimes there's an element of how do we keep it realistic and sustainable and um yeah and, and not the environmental sustainability but just kind of the sustainable habits of training mm-hmm. racing that's a huge thing i work on with uh with athletes just because if you're really into the sport there are a lot of things that we do that are kind of excessive and they're not things you can keep up throughout a season or over the course of multiple years and so, you know, how do we balance other things? And sometimes that's as simple as nutrition. Sometimes that's, you know, how do we balance in other parts of life? Um, but yeah, it's, you, you can't always go with optimal because it's not always practical to keep that up forever. That's fair. Yeah. Um, more questions I can have, but we'll, yeah. we'll start to wind down on time here. Um, so uh, Lucas, you know, you know, could you listen to, uh, to the episode with Alexi? But I, I ask a question of each guest uh, for an entire year. So you're one of the last, the almost the last guest. Next week, my recording will be the last guest for this season um, to round out this question. So the question for you now is how do you celebrate your wins? How do I celebrate my wins? Um, I think one of the things is that I don't often celebrate my wins enough. Um, as a coach, like I'm invested in my riders doing well, but at the same time, I recognize they had to make it happen. So I'm always a little bit detached from the success. Um, yeah, I think maybe the most concrete example of celebrating my wins is, um, is the season Alexi uh, went to the world tour. I bought myself a new desk, which is still a desk I use. Um, and that was kind of a recognition of, you know, I don't, I may never, never coach another athlete that, that rides at the world tour. Uh, and, um, and I also had a couple other athletes that had really good seasons that year. And so it was, it was part, like, I may never have a, a season like this again as a coach. <laughs> um, so, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll pause and, and do that. Uh, but sometimes also like a cyclist, you know, you're like, yeah. And then, you know, you move on to the next thing. Cause there's another race. There's another thing happening. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, I would say I probably don't celebrate those enough. Um, in the moment, I'm like, oh, that was exciting. <laughs> and the next day, it's it's on to the next thing. Um, I guess in, in my coaching hat, I would say, yeah, you need to pause at least at the end of a season and like look back on all the things that happened. And um, yeah, sometimes we measure ourselves too much day to day as opposed to taking a big picture look at it. Um, but yeah, the desk is sometimes something that I think about and I'm like, 
you know, that's why we keep working and it is good to have some reminders that sometimes it goes well. Well, I think that's kind of an interesting answer to it because you, I mean, a desk is a tangible thing. And I think generally I, I would discourage people from be like, oh, buy a new thing or whatever. Like, but, but in some of the cases, like, I think if I look back, it was like, like with the with triathlon training, you know, for, for any long time listener know that like, I didn't end up uh, getting my pro license because I crashed and the whole thing, but just like, as I developed, it's an expensive sport. So it's like, as I got better and kind of saw those wins and gains, then I would like upgrading gear mm -hmm. and be like, okay, now I can justify like spending a little bit more and getting yeah. a little bit nicer stuff. And so sometimes I think buying things is actually a good way to mm -hmm. go about it. Not necessarily like, I went, I won that race. So I'm going to go take a $60,000 loan and get a Mercedes or something. Not, not like that, <laughs> but just like, like your desk is that's that's a part of your everyday work environment like it's it's in mm -hmm. some ways like me or alexi like being like i'm getting a new bike or i'm getting new race wheels or whatever like it's yeah you're you're reinvesting in the thing that you're doing because you succeeded so sometimes i think that's yeah. actually a, a really good answer to that yeah, and sometimes we have goals that other people don't see i think it's easy to you know if you get on the podium um there's some recognition in that um and your name's on that list kind of forever um, and then there are other goals that we accomplished that nobody's ever going to know. Number one, that was a goal or that we succeeded. And so sometimes I, I do think it's helpful if we recognize ourselves in, in some way or other. Uh, and, you know, nobody knows about the desk. You're probably the first person other than my wife that, that knows about the desk. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's really for yourself. Um, and, and I think it's it's good to celebrate those sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I can't really think of anything else I've bought myself. Um, but it was a reminder, you know, sometimes it goes well and, and it's good to recognize those, even if you don't have some sort of other recognition that happens. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, Lucas, if, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, they're just in coaching, they have questions, any of that kind of stuff, where, where can yeah. I reach out to you? The best place is through the website, old school website, um, which is developcoaching.com. And there's contact down there. Just uh, could go straight to me. It's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, yeah. And otherwise, you know, if you're in Ann Arbor spring training series, every, every year we run, I'm, I'm out of the clinics helping with those. Um, yeah. And otherwise I pretty much, I follow my athletes. So, um, yeah, get in touch with them and <laughs> they'll make it happen. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Uh, Lucas, thanks. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Well, it was great to sit down and uh, always fun to talk cycling and coaching.